You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. You guys can still, through the rest of the college football season, create a brand new account on MyBookie and use the promo code UGA to double that very first deposit. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. As you guys know, I am your host, Tyler, and here to help me out with another batch of mailbag questions this week is my co-host, Charlie. Charlie, how was your Saturday in Athens this past weekend? It was great. It wasn't too hot. There were a lot of people in town for the game. It was was kind of warm in the stadium. It was good to see the town alive again. Yeah, I do feel like for the first couple home games, it was like, is there a game today? Are we sure? Even like the Friday nights before the games, usually like there's a nice crowd out, people coming in town, opposing fans coming in town, because Athens is the best college town in the world. So obviously when they play here, they want to come to town. But the first, like obviously Sanford, Kent State, you did not get that feel. I think this was the first one, the first weekend that I felt like Athens came alive for a college football weekend. So of course that was nice to see. Fall is in the air, Charlie. Can we officially say that? I think so, yeah. I mean, for now. You never know. Georgia weather, you never know. But it felt good, you're right, Saturday morning. Had a nice run through campus, through town. Saw a lot of people out, which was a beautiful sight for these eyes to see. Weather was, it was nice. It was nice. It got a little hot in the game. I sit kind of like right in the sun, at least that time of day. So it was kind of all over me. But it was like 80 degrees. It wasn't that bad. So all in all, a fantastic Saturday capped by obviously that 42-10 victory over the Auburn Tigers. But Charlie, people don't care about our Saturdays, do they? No. Not really. They care about what we think about the Georgia Bulldogs. And we've got a lot of questions to get to today. So where are we going to kick things off? We're going to start with a question from our very good friend, Josh Stevens. And Josh, my man. This is a good one, but I don't know if you'll understand. If I will understand, I mean, why do you say that? I understand the idea of the question, but not the technicality. That's just hateful. So Josh asks, if UGA was a six-cylinder car, how many cylinders would you say we are pumping right now? Granted, I am not a car guy. I am not a car guy. But I do get this, Charlie. I get this. Six cylinders. I would okay. say like four. That You just stole my thunder, Charlie. I would say four. Yeah, I feel that's the right number here. Like, we're definitely operating at more than half capacity right now. 
But I think that's fair, Charlie. I don't think that we are hitting on all cylinders right now. I think four is a fair number. And I think you have to to realize, guys, and you guys know this, go back to the beginning of the season. What were we all talking about in the preseason going into week one against Oregon? We were talking about how young and inexperienced this team was, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Not as much on offense, obviously, with a lot of key returners coming back. But on defense, we had so many new pieces. I mean, just think about it, guys. Right now, we've got... Two true freshmen either starting or playing starter snaps in Michael Williams and Malachi Starks every single game. Last week was three. Bear Alexander was actually out there early and often. So it was essentially three true freshmen starting last week against Auburn as Bear is seeing more and more snaps as the season progresses. We've got four second-year players on defense who really played basically no meaningful snaps for us last year who are now starting to go guys like Pop Dumas Johnson. You look at Smile Mondin, Kamari Lasseter, guys like that who... Yeah, they were on the team last year and played like garbage role responsibilities, but they weren't major players for us. They didn't play any kind of meaningful snaps whatsoever for that national championship team. And now they are thrust into big time snaps. And then you got multiple true freshmen, the two deep behind all these guys. So we were really young and really inexperienced to begin with, especially defensively. And on the offense, we were also pr- pretty young. I mean, we've got first year starters at three of five positions on the offensive line. No, none of them are true freshmen, but they're First-year starters, more than half our offensive line. These are guys starting for the very first time in their career. Our best wide receiver is a second-year player. He's been banged up for the vast majority of the year, which means we've got true freshmen like guys like Dylan Bell kind of thrust into duty behind him, playing a lot of snaps, playing starter snaps in some of these games, and more redshirt freshmen behind him. You've got a brand-new punter. So really, all up and down this roster, you've got a lot of newness, a lot of youth, a lot of inexperience. And on top of that, you got injuries to key players. Obviously, our best defensive player, Jalen Carter has been out basically since the Oregon game. He got banged up early in the Oregon game, gutted that one out on, on adrenaline, played a little bit in Sanford, obviously didn't have to play too much there, and then we really haven't seen much of him at all since that point. And then A.D. Mitchell, we know our top wide receiver has been banged up. Ladd has been, he's been gutting it, gutting it out and playing, but he's been dealing with a toe issue for a couple of weeks now. Smile Mondin, a starting inside linebacker, didn't play last week. So when you factor all of that in, like, no, we're clearly not playing to our full capability. We are not hitting on all six cylinders right now. And I do think injuries are a big part of that. I think the inexperience is a big part of that as well. These guys just have to grow up. They have to learn. And part of learning is making mistakes and growing from them. And we have seen that at times from all different spots on this roster, on this team, offensively and defensively throughout this year. But the good thing is, the really encouraging thing is, when these guys make mistakes, they do learn from it. Sometimes guys don't. Like You, you look at like a guy like Britton Cox for Florida. This guy is the most selfish player that I've ever seen in my life. And he never freaking learns. All he does is go balls to the walls trying to get a sack or blow up the right back in the backfield and get those big-time TFL sacks, the sack stats, all that kind of stuff. He does not care about doing his job, and it hurts Florida more often than not. And the dude never learns. He does not care. Our guys have made mistakes, but our guys have learned from that, and that's really encouraging moving forward because the talent is there. As we said all offseason long, the talent was never the question. We have the talent to hit on all six cylinders and those six cylinders to be good enough to win a national championship. Now, are we going to get to that point? Are we get all of those guys, all those young and experienced players all together at the same time playing that point to where we get to hit on all six of those cylinders. That remains to be seen. It's certainly possible. I'm holding out hope. I think we're getting closer and closer to that each week. One thing, as we mentioned on the recap show, at least I brought this up, that I was really, really, really encouraged by in this passing against Auburn. I think we might just have figured out who we need to be on offense moving forward in this game against Auburn, running the football, trying to stay out of third and long using the the screen game, the the swing pass game as more of a compliment as opposed to like 
the basis of our offense like it was kind of in the Oregon game now that teams have got some tape on us and kind of figured out some of the things that we're doing there from a tendency standpoint I think we might have just figured out the blueprint for what this offense needs to be moving forward and that it could be a very scary thing for some of these teams on our schedule the rest of the way even though the schedule does pick up here in a couple of weeks which Charlie I think takes us that's a very nice segue I think right into our next question all right yeah so leading into our game Saturday we all watched Tennessee put a beating on LSU in Baton Rouge uh which Predictably kicked the Tennessee hype train into high gear, catapulting them all the way to number six in this week's AP poll. And game day is going there this weekend too. Are they? Mm-hmm. If they were game day is so dumb. They went. They should they never gone went. there. They should never gone there for the Florida game. That, like that was not a big game. That was dumb. Hey, that was dumb. Playing well. Like this, they should be. It. They should be at this game. They should not have gone to the Tennessee Florida game. That was ridiculous. Okay. Well, all CFB wants to know how scary is the Tennessee game looking for you right now? Yeah, Charlie, I I knew this question was coming. Our our pads crossed a little bit on Saturday tailgating. I was tailgating with Curtis and some different people, and you came over for a little while, and we were watching a little bit of that LSU game together. And I told you guys, did I not? I told all of you there. I said. Oh my God, we're going to hear this all week about how scary Tennessee is, how good Tennessee is. Oh my God, is Tennessee going to win the ACC East now? Like, is Georgia in trouble? I knew this was coming. I, I just sitting there watching the game. I was like, yep, this is definitely coming. I knew the national media was going to lose their minds about Tennessee. And I, and I get it. I do. I mean, Tennessee, I don't like to say it out loud, but I mean, at once upon a time, they were a powerhouse in college football in the SEC. It's been about 20 years. 25 years or so really since I was in like my early high school years that was about the last time Tennessee was good but they were a former powerhouse for a little while there they do have a very passionate fan base I do not like Tennessee fans but I gotta give them credit they are passionate and I do respect passion Uh, it's a pretty big brand nationally because again they do care it's an SEC brand and as a passionate fan base they are desperate for a winner and they have they have been in the media many many a time with these coaching searches that have gone haywire uh, and I think also the media is looking for a foil for Georgia. You know, they were looking for that foil for Alabama. We were that for a little while. Now it's Texas A&M. And they're looking for someone in the East to be that foil to Georgia. And Tennessee looks like the most lucky candidate this year, which we all kind of, at least on this podcast, felt they were going to be coming this season. And then you also have the fact that we have looked, quote unquote, human the past couple of weeks, at least, you know, against Kent State and more so against Missouri. And you couple that with the fact that Tennessee has been playing very well. They went to Baton Rouge, which is notoriously a tough place to go out and, and play and win a game as a road team. And they went out and put it on LSU, even though it was not a night game. It was a noon game and there's not the same level of environment, obviously. But all that kind of, you mix that into a pot and you have this, like, as you said, Charlie, a hype train that I think is kind of running away right now. And I think a, a little too aggressively at this point. Now, let me preface what I'm about to say with this. I think Tennessee is a very good football team. I absolutely respect this football team. They are absolutely good enough to beat us if we do not play, as Josh was asking that last question, if we're not hitting on all six cylinders, they are good enough to beat us if they, on that given day, are hitting on all six cylinders. They are good enough to do that. So I do respect them. They are good. I'm not trying to tell you that they are not. So let's just get that out of the way. In fact, I told you in the preseason that this was going to be the very best team that we played. I did an episode, what, back in like early July where I ranked the games on our schedule. I did not, based on difficulty, and I did not have the Tennessee game at number one. I might readjust that now, but I had that they were number three, I think. And the reason they were number three wasn't because I didn't think Tennessee was good. I said on that episode that Tennessee is the best team that we will play in 2022. It was by virtue of the fact that we have that game at home. Whereas games against Mississippi State and Kentucky were on the road. Now, what I would do is I would flip-flop 
Kentucky and Mississippi State. I had Mississippi State as the second most difficult game coming this season. I had Kentucky at number one. But I would flip that now. Mississippi State, I thought they could be sneaking good. I think I had them at 8-4 and four in the preseason, and they are they might even do better than that. So that might be our toughest game up in the schedule just by the virtue of the fact it's a good team and it's on the road. But I, I do respect Tennessee. I do think they are good. But saying that, let's also not lose touch with reality here, guys. Let's not make the volunteers out to be something that they are not. Again, I understand why this happens, where the hype is coming from. I understand why Georgia fans are concerned. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm not concerned. I absolutely am, at least to some degree, concerned because Tennessee is good enough to beat us. I'm concerned every game, though, guys. That's kind of how I go into every single game. I went to the Missouri game. I don't really always say it out loud because people laugh at me. I'm concerned every single game that we're going to lose. I, I, I know intellectually that we're way better and we're not going to lose those games, but there's still a part of me. It's that Munson in me, that Vince Dooley in me, that it just goes into every game just worried. All right? So, like, obviously, I, I understand where the concern comes from. That's kind of how I operate. We all care, and when you care that much and you see a potential threat, you kind of blow that up in your mind. It's human nature, it's natural, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not begrudging anyone for that. But I'm also a context guy, all right? So when you're looking at this Tennessee game, let's ask ourselves, why is everyone so scared of Tennessee right now? Why? Well, obviously it's the offense, right? Right? When you look at some of the numbers here, Tennessee, is S&P, their S&P Plus offense is number two nationally. They're awesome on offense. But what if I told you that we were actually averaging more yards per play than Tennessee? What if I told you that? Because that's true, guys. Right now, it's not by much, but we are averaging 7.24 yards per play compared to Tennessee, who's averaging 7.21. Yes, essentially the same. We're splitting hairs there. But we actually technically are averaging more yards per play than Tennessee. And I would say against a more difficult schedule, the fact that we played Oregon and Oregon is, I think Oregon might win the Pac-12 guys. I mean, they're certainly in that conversation. I mentioned Tennessee being the second ranked S&P plus offense in the country. That's awesome. They're really good. I'm not arguing that point, but we're also really good too. We're number five nationally in S&P plus offense. And again, we're not hitting on all cylinders right now. We haven't had our best receiver in weeks now. What if I also told you we have a higher points per game average against power five teams? We're scoring 41 points a game against Power 5 teams compared to 37.3 for Tennessee. Yeah, they beat up on a couple of little sisters of the poor. I mean, some of these offensive metrics for Tennessee are very skewed by one game. And that one game is since Akron, who is 1-5, mind you, with a win against St. Francis University, and who happens to be 127th nationally in total defense and 128th nationally in scoring defense. Against Akron, Tennessee put up 676 yards and averaged 9.7 yards per play. So their overall numbers are a little skewed because of that game. Sorry, we did not get a chance to play Akron. I know, yes, sure, we did play Samford, but we did not play Akron, who is flat out terrible. And Tennessee's offense absolutely feast on defenses like that, on teams like that. Then if you look at yards per play versus power five teams, Tennessee is averaging 6.7 yards per play versus power five teams. Whereas on the flip side, we are averaging almost a full yard more per play against power five teams than Tennessee. We're averaging 7.65 yards per play per play against power five teams compared to Tennessee's 6.7. And that's and that's actually with another game. We've played one more game than they have, which would bring that, we would think would bring those numbers down because we played another game against a power five team. And I use the power five metrics because that's what this matchup is, guys. It's a power five matchup. When these two teams in November face off against each other against between the hedges, this is a power five matchup. Those are the relevant numbers. I don't really care about Samford and Akron. I do not really care about those numbers. What are you doing against the better teams on your schedule? And right now, offensively, as good as Tennessee has been, and they have been very good, we're actually 
against Power 5 teams, we've been a little bit more productive. And again, this is not to belittle Tennessee's offense. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just here to ask the question. That's all I'm trying to do. If statistically our offense, as I just laid out for you here, I know this is not every stat. I know we don't have time to go through every stat. But if our offense is every bit as good, if not maybe better than Tennessee's offense in some statistical measures, and the UT offense is what has a lot of Georgia fans scared of Tennessee, then why aren't we asking the same question of Tennessee? If our offense is just as good, if not better, at least statistically in a lot of these categories, why aren't we asking Tennessee if they are scared of the Georgia offense? And the answer to that is because of perception. It's a perception based on a couple things. It's based on recency bias. You know, Obviously, the Missouri game, we did not play well offensively in the first half. Now, we certainly turned things on the second half. It was a different story. But the first half, it was a bad look. And it was a very close game. We were lucky to get out of there alive. 100% we were. But that's also a game where we put up 481 yards on the road at night against an SEC opponent. And that was deemed a bad game because really, let's be honest, what happened there is we did not finish in the red zone. If we finished in the red zone, as I've said a couple times the past couple weeks, that's a different story. People are not having the same conversation. It's also a perception based on our quarterback and based on their quarterback and the fact that Stetson Bennett's a walk-on. And even though he looked good early in the season, there's still some people that no matter what this guy does, they're always going to see him as a walk-on. They're always waiting to pounce on any mistake this guy makes to drag him down, to bring him down, to remind us that he actually is not as good as people try to say he is. Um, and then Josh Heupel's offense is partly the perception of his offense and his reputation versus our long-term offensive reputation. You guys know the negative recruiting that goes on against us each and every year. So it's, it's all based on perception uh, and those factors there. But I would say this, let me put this out there. So offensively, even if you want to say Tennessee is better, I'll listen to that. More explosive, I'll certainly listen to that. And I don't, you might not necessarily be wrong there, but you have to also admit it's very, very close. You can just easily make the flip side argument and say, well, statistically, Georgia is just as good as Tennessee, if not better. And if you can make the argument, that means it's close. And then if the offenses are at the very least close, what about the defenses? I know people hyper-focus on offenses because of, oh, wow, you know, they love the flash. They love the style. Offense is sexy. Points are cool. Scoring means something is happening. I get that. And defensive issues are often just glossed over like, oh yeah, like Tennessee's defense isn't any good, but oh man, that offense. But as like as close as things are between the Georgia and Tennessee offenses, at least statistically, it's not even remotely close on defense. We are fifth currently in the country, averaging 10.7 points per game. Tennessee, okay, I'll give them credit here. They are actually 22nd nationally in scoring defense, which you look at that on the surface, and you're like, wow, okay, Tennessee's really improved defensively. And the production is there. I'll give them that in scoring defense. But let's take a deeper look. Okay, yes, they're 22nd nationally in scoring defense, but a deeper look reveals that they're only 87th nationally in total defense, giving up 400 yards a game. By comparison, we are eighth nationally, still top 10 in total defense. They're actually only 42nd 42nd in the country in yards per play allowed defensively. And get this, they're 99th nationally in opponents' first downs. We are ninth. The difference for Tennessee is that their red zone touchdown percentage has been awesome. They're 12th nationally, only giving up touchdowns 40% of the time that opponents get in the red zone. That's where the disconnect is here because their scoring defense is good. They're keeping teams out of the end zone, but they are allowing the teams to move up and down the field. Their total defense numbers tell you that. Their yards per play defense numbers tell you that. Their opponent first down numbers tell you that. So what I'm getting at here with their defense is this is not sustainable. As they get to the meat of their schedule, this week against Alabama, us in a couple of weeks, that dam is going to break eventually. It's inevitable. They're not going to continue to keep defense, keep offenses out of the end zone at this rate. Not when they're giving up yards at the rate they are 
on all other parts of the field. So eventually that dam will break and they're going to start to give up more points. And when that happens, that offense better not have an off day because they will lose if they do. It's just as simple as that. So uh, clearly here, as I laid out, defensively, they aren't even in the same stratosphere as Georgia. So sure, again, to recap here, statistically, you can make the argument that I think at least, in my opinion, that Georgia is just as good as this high-power Tennessee offense. And you can also make the argument that defense is not even close. So that begs the question, why are we freaking out, guys? I mean, yes, Tennessee is good. I'm not telling you they're not good. They are good. We should respect them. But why are we freaking out? Why are some people right now, I have buddies who are saying, man, we're going to lose Tennessee. It's over. Like, we're not going to win the East. Tennessee's going to win the East. If they beat Bama and they don't slip up, we have no, like, we're not going to go. We're not going to go to the playoffs now. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Because, guys, we've seen this time and time again over the years. The team with the flashy, sexy, unstoppable offense, but this porous defense, you know, it gets people all hyped up. And they go into a big top 10 match against a team driven more by like a strong defense, running game, a throwback team, right? And then that team gets punched in the mouth and they have no answer. We saw last year with Ohio State and Michigan. What was the narrative coming to that game? No one was really giving Michigan a chance because they, they couldn't score like Ohio State could. What did Michigan do? They went in there and they punched that team in the mouth and Ohio State had no answer. You saw it last year to a lesser degree with us in Tennessee on the road at Neyland Stadium. I think this Tennessee team is better, but... It was the same concept, really high power Tennessee offense. They were great last year on offense. This throwback Georgia team that plays great defense, doesn't really score much, which is crazy. It's a narrative, but it's a narrative. And what did we do? We weathered the early storm. We went in there, punched them in the mouth, and they had no answer. We've seen it time and time again. So I'm again, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be weary of this game and that you shouldn't respect them. You should respect them. They are good, but scared? No. I, I'm not scared of Tennessee. I respect them. I think it would be a good game, but scared, no. That is not the right word. I am not scared of Tennessee at this point in time. All right. I'm sorry, Charlie. I know it was a little long. I saw your face kind of rolling your eyes about seven different times, but I had, to get, okay. I had to get that one out, Charlie. Sometimes I sit on these things. I just got to get them out. It's all for the people. They want to hear it. Got to get all it right. out. I know you don't want to hear this, but we're officially halfway through the Georgia football Why do you season. even have to say it, though? So now that we have... because it Seriously, why do you have to say that? Because we need it for the question. Can you give me like a trigger warning? No. So I can just close my ears or walk out of the room? Fine. Okay. You're fine. So now trigger. that we have a full six-game sample size, Reggie wants to know what position or position group do you think the strength of the team is thus far? All right, you'll like this, Charlie. I'm going to follow up the long response to the long-winded response with a very economical response for you. I got two positions. Obviously, tight end is elite, right? We talked about in the offseason how this is the most elite tight end group in the country. I think it still has been that. We haven't seen as many tight ends as I think we all thought we would. We thought we'd see more 13 personnel. We saw a little bit of 13 personnel with Oscar Dupp on the field last week. Obviously, Eric Gilbert is not really Eric Gilbert. Eric Gilbert, whatever, has not really been a factor this year for different reasons. Um, but the, the top two guys that have been playing, and we, we play 12 personnel the vast majority of the time with obviously Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. They have been flat out elite as blockers, as pass catchers, done everything they've been asked to do. So I think that is the best position group. I think that's the strength of the team, to be quite honest with you. Um, and then I think on defense, there's two that I would I would kind of choose between here. I would go safety. I think Chris Smith is just a rock back there. He's a veteran now, and he's he's not the most physically talented guy. He's I mean, among the guys we've had in the past couple of years, whether it's Lewis Seen, Richard LeCount, now Malachi Starks, you throw Chris Smith in there. I mean, Chris is pretty clearly the the least physically gifted of those guys. But man, he's a vet. He he, he moves better than people want to give him credit for. Um, he's got great instincts out there and he, he's just a playmaker for us. He's in the right spot. He doesn't blow assignments. And then you got 
to compliment him, you got this uber talented true freshman in Malachi Starks, who, you know, made this wow play in the first game against Oregon and has been starting ever since. And he just gets better and better and better every single week. I think he might be the best cover safety that we've had in a long time already. And that's crazy to say. So I, I love what I'm seeing from the safeties right now. And then I'd also maybe potentially look at inside linebacker. I know these guys are young and experienced, but talk about getting better every game. Pop Dumas Johnson, I mean, or Dumas Johnson, I should say, gets, God, this guy gets better and better every single week. I thought he was like maybe a, I had some questions about his speed coming this season. I thought he was maybe like a four, six, low to mid four, six kind of guy. I think he's like a, probably a low four, five guy based on what I've seen on tape to this point. I think this guy, I mean, he could be a three down linebacker. We bring different guys in on, in the third down packages, but I think he could play that role, which he did some in the absence of Smile Mondin last week. But I think Smile, who's been healthy for most of the year, did not play last week, got banged up against Missouri. He's also been a really, really pleasant surprise. I knew the athleticism he brought to the table, but you just don't know with these young guys who have basically no experience. And those two have just exceeded every expectation I could possibly have for them. They're playing a lot of snaps, more than, this, than the guys we had last year because we had more guys that we could rotate in. We don't have as many of those guys this year that we think are ready to play or at least have been healthy. But I think linebacker, inside linebacker has also been a really strong position for us on defense. There you go, Charlie. That was a short one. All right. Well, anyone who watched the Auburn game knows we leaned heavily on the run against the Tigers. And the past game had a tough time getting in rhythm last weekend. With that in mind, Darren asks, schematically, how are teams playing defense against us differently in the last few games? He says it feels like our short perimeter passing game is getting clogged up and yeah. is less efficient. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely not wrong there, it's Darren. Me. I mean, you're seeing that, Charlie, right? I mean, we're, yeah. we're having a tougher time. The, the room is not out there. And I think what you're starting to see is, I mean, number one, guys, what's happening is that the tape is out, right? Like, I think I said this on the recap episode. If I didn't, I'll say it now. And for those who didn't hear it, you get to hear it for the first time now. Uh, I, I think the tape is out. You know, coming into the Oregon game, what we saw, we were all excited because it was different, right? Like, we had never seen a Georgia offense operate like that. And if we hadn't seen it and we watch all these games, you know that opposing teams coordinators had not seen that either. So it was a tougher prep. It was tougher to prepare for. We didn't have the tendencies on tape as much as we do now. Now, I mean, as you said, Charlie, and I hate you for this, but now I have to say it, we are halfway through the season and the tape is out there. And teams are able to put that tape together and look for tendencies, look for personnel, down and distance stuff look for formation tendencies, and they are able to key on that more, especially when we have not been consistently challenging teams vertically down the field, and we have not been able to get the run game going really as much as we want to up up until last week where we rushed almost 300 against Auburn. So when that becomes like when the screen game, the swing pass game becomes almost like the feature part of your offense, and now the tape is out there, teams know what you're doing. And we still want to run the football. We've still been trying to outside of the first half of that Missouri game. So now teams are, what we've seen the past couple weeks, especially Missouri, playing us, they're playing playing us a lot like South Carolina did back in 2019 when they pulled that upset here in in Athens and Sanford Stadium, which basically were just putting a lot of bodies around the line of scrimmage, playing man coverage, putting their cornerbacks on the island and daring our receivers to beat them in man coverage. And we just simply couldn't do it. George, did well enough. And then you, uh, he actually, I think George got hurt in that game. I want to say Lawrence Cager got hurt in that game. And we were just not winning consistently out there, man, coverage. And the rest is history. We lost that game and lost a shot to, to maybe end up in the college football playoff. And so you're seeing that now. A lot of bodies are on the line of scrimmage to the snap. Safeties are triggering aggressively against either the run or the screen game. Linebackers are a step closer to the line of scrimmage. I mean, there was a play in the Auburn game where we threw a swing pass to Kenny. 
I'm pretty sure it was a third down, like a third and four. And we threw it into the boundary. And guys, we've been crushing teams with that play. When we get Darnell and we get Brock out there as lead blockers and we throw a swing pass to Kenny behind the line of scrimmage, we have been murdering teams. We've been averaging like over 10 yards a play on that coming to the Auburn game. And on that play, yes, he didn't have as far to go because we threw it into the boundary. But Derek Hall, the outside linebacker edge rusher for Auburn, he's the one that made the play. Brock, Darnell, they did their job blocking those DBs beyond the line of scrimmage. The play was there to be made, but Derek Hall, as soon as he saw Kenny McIntosh go in motion and he saw that we had Darnell and Brock Bowers out there on the perimeter to block for him, he knew exactly what we were doing. He didn't even try to rush the passer. He just turned and ran on a beeline towards the sideline to, to tackle Kenny short of that first down. It's things like that. The tape is out there. Tennessees are out there. Teams know this. Teams in the SEC are too good. They're too smart. Coordinators are too good. And the players are too talented for us to use this as our base offense. And we're going to have to change that a little bit here. So teams have been aggressive in that way. They're running a lot of run stunts. They're seeing on, those, on the, the short passing game, the screen game. And you're right, Darren. That's why things are getting clogged up right now. And that's why we need to go more to the traditional run game, which we saw against Auburn to great effect. All right. Well, we made it this far. We made it this far. But can we do a quick break? Sure. All right, quick break here, guys, as I know I'm probably going to go along on this next question. I think I know what's coming up as I read your screen here, Charlie. So let's take the second to get in a little read about our guys at my bookie. Charlie, I know you've actually, like, you made some money this year. I have. And I, I didn't, like, I know you weren't confident. You're like, man, I'm going to lose all my money. I was like, no, Charlie, you know your stuff. But if it wasn't for my bookie, you wouldn't be making that money, Charlie. I would not. You be. would not be. And there's a special code you can use to also make a little money. And it's so easy, guys. I mean, I know we said this last week, and Charlie, I'm going to put you on the spot here again. Guys, we all love Charlie. She's the star of the podcast. But Charlie is not tech savvy. If Charlie can figure this out without any assistance and did it in like a minute, Right, Charlie? Something like that? Like a, like a yeah, minute, 30 seconds? Yeah, I could figure it out. Yeah, I mean, let's just be real, guys. Charlie's awesome, but technology is not her thing, and she figured it out, so I know you guys can too. Go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code UGA, sign up for a brand new account today. So we've got more than half the season left. We've got to buy a week in there. More than half the season left. We've got the bowl season, obviously. A lot of mon- a lot of time left for you guys to make some money and put that money in your pockets. When the holiday season's coming up, you know you want a little extra spending money. you got to buy those gifts. You know that always helps. So join today at mybookie.ag and bet anything, anytime, anywhere at mybookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Okay, so as I was saying, it's 2021 all over again. Oh, God, Because after going 1 of 13 for 25 yards in the first half, coming off another less than stellar performance yep. in Missouri, the Stetson Bennett's questions came flooding in this week, just like they did every single week last year. Remember that last year, Charlie? Every single week. I mean, yeah. it, like, we had to really cull the list of Stetson Bennett questions. That was about... I don't know, 70% of the questions we got were Stetson Bennett questions? Yep. Something like that? So do you want me to read all the Stetson Bennett questions, or do you want me to read them one at a time? Oh my God, Charlie. What? I mean, how many do we got? We have three. Just read them all. Okay, so Ethan first asks, is Stetson Bennett really the best option at quarterback? Okay. Christopher says, he's wondering if Stetson is playing injured, and that might explain why some of his passes seem out of sync with the wide receivers. Kirby says no, but you know, okay. take that with a grain of salt. And Jay Lee says, Stetson Bennett has been missing lately. Is this who he is, or is this just a slump? I, I think the sample size of what we saw last year in the National Championship run would probably be a larger sample size and more indicative of who Stetson Bennett is than maybe like the last two game sample size. I mean, that's just me putting that out there. Um, but I get where the frustration is coming, guys. I do. I mean, okay, so Stetson Bennett. Let's just do this, guys. All right. So he, I knew these questions were coming. I, I saw these questions as they were coming in on social media and email. I, I knew this was coming. And uh, so what I did to try to prepare myself to respond to this and give you guys like the most accurate information, like a a true legitimate take on this. I went back and did a whole separate rewatch of this game, literally just focusing on Stetson in the passing game. Like I was fast forwarding through everything else. I just wanted to watch pass plays. And what I saw was different from what I thought I saw in the game. And that happens from time to time because like you guys, I am a fan. That's who we are here. Like we're nothing special. We're just fans. Like, like all of you guys out there. We're one of you. And uh, I get emotional, just like you do. I get frustrated, just like you do, because I care, just like you do. I want to win, just like you do. Trust me. And when I see Stetson Bennett miss Brock Bowers right before the halftime for an easy walk-in touchdown, I mean, I get frustrated. And I tweet out things like Stet, you got to hit that, which I did. I tweet that out because he does. He's got to hit that ball. I'm sorry. I know you can get away with it against Auburn. Against Tennessee, are we going to be able to get away with things like that? I mean, I hope, but I hope it doesn't happen. I hope we don't have to find that out. So, yes, I get frustrated. But when I watched it, I'm kind of removed from the immediacy of the situation and the game and the emotions kind of are, are pulled back in check. I can watch it with more of a clear mind. And that's what I did last night. And after doing so, was it Ethan Charlie that asked if Stetson Bennett really the best option at quarterback? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, to answer that question. Yes. Ethan, okay. So, Ethan, I respect the question. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for listening. But to just very simply answer that question, the answer is yes. Stetson Bennett is, yes, really the best option at quarterback for us. I know that, and this is going back to what I was saying earlier, Charlie, and I'm not saying Ethan is one of these guys, but there are people out there. I mean, I mean Curtis is kind of one of these guys. Love Curtis, but he's kind of one of these guys. Like you, you'll give Stetson Bennett credit when everyone, like when it's like universal, right? Universal praise and like you can't not give him credit. But as soon as he makes like the slightest mistake, there are people out there just waiting to pounce, man. They're waiting to crush the guy because in their mind, deep down, he will always be that walk-on who does not deserve to be the quarterback at Georgia. And there's just people like that and you'll never be able to change your mind. And that's fine. That's totally fine. But I reject the notion after going back and rewatching this exclusively just to watch the pass plays. I reject the notion 
that Stetson Bennett actually played poorly on Saturday. And I know this is going to rile people up. I know you're going to say, oh my God, Tyler, like you're just a homer. Like you're looking at things with your red and black colored glasses. You just love Stetson Bennett. And yes, I do like Stetson Bennett. I mean, yeah, I like all of our guys. Like, like kill me. I mean, that's, I'm a Georgia guy. I love all of our guys. That's, that's, that's me. All right. But I, I mean this guys. And I truly, truly dove deep on this. And I, I don't think Stetson played poorly on Saturday. Now, that doesn't mean that Stetson played well. I don't think Stetson had a great game. It wasn't a spectacular performance by any stretch of the imagination, but it wasn't a bad performance either. It was fine. He was okay. Like he did he did a lot more good things in this game than I think people want to give him credit for. And even in the first half, I would say, guys, and that's what the second half he played very well. First half, you know, he's 7-13 for 25 yards. I get there's understandable going to be some questions there. But I don't, Again, the context, guys, just go back and like look at the context here. You know, first off, Stetson was not fooled in this game. Stetson's not really ever fooled by coverage. You can't say ever. I mean, everybody gets fooled every now and then, but Stetson knows what teams are doing. He he understands man indicators. He understands zone indicators. He understands, okay, pre-snap, do I need to start with the the man reads, our man beaters? Do I need to start with our zone beaters? Do I need to, where do I start my progression? He understands those things. He's really, really, really good at that. He diagnoses his coverage post-snap really well. And I, I think he did a good job of all those things on Saturday against Auburn. And I think he largely put the ball where it needed to be. Now, that does not mean that he put every ball where it needed to be. That does not mean he did not miss balls. Yes, of course he did. The ball to, to Brock with a little over a minute left, where we basically dialed up a home run shot. It was a, a, a switch route. It was well, it wasn't really a switch route. It was like a slot fade with a with a little hitch attached to it. And we we basically we were able to run like a little pick route off that. And Brock had what two or three steps. I mean, that's I, I call that a layup. Maybe not everyone out there calls that a layup. You've got to hit that in the SEC, guys. You got to hit that when he's that wide open down the field for a touchdown, a kill shot before the half. You got to hit that seventy plus percent of the time, like. You've got to. There's no pressure. Stetson had a clean pocket. You've got to hit that. You just got to hit it, right? Not, not every quarterback hits that, and guys miss it from time to time. I get that, but you still you, you need to be hitting that ball if you want to win a, a national championship. You just got to. You got to hit that ball. So he, he missed some throws. I'm not saying he was The ball, like, when it fell out of his hand again, just randomly for the second week in a row, that kind of stuff cannot happen. He's got to improve on those things, clearly. But there's more context to this. You know, I think the first thing I would say that really hurt us in the pass game in the first half is the screen game, the swing pass game was not working like it had been. It really didn't work that well. We didn't really try to use it until the second half against Missouri. This is the first game where we, they, where our team really kind of just stuffed that and they had an answer for that. And I mean, we had just in the first half alone, look at my numbers here, we had at least four I can think of that I've got written down here that were stopped either like right at or slightly behind the line of scrimmage. And what happens when that, when that happens, that puts us in third and long, guys. And Stetson Bennett, who I, I think is a really good quarterback, is not at his best in third and long. Now, let's be fair to Stetson. Who is? Like, what quarterbacks actually are better in third and long than, like, third and short or second and short on favorable downs and distances? Not many are out there, guys. It's just reality. It's not just a Stetson thing. But Stetson is, like, our, our job at pass game, he's better at that this year. That's still not his strength. And when we're in third and long you kind of abandon the play action game. Like it doesn't really have the effect that it would like on third and short or second and short, first and 10. It doesn't have that same impact. It doesn't draw the linebackers and the safeties in the way that it would otherwise. And when he's when he has to operate from that kind of standpoint, a drop back pass game on third and long, and I think like our first seven first down, our third down opportunities in the game, guys, it was like 
a little bit more than seven yards to go on all those third downs. So they were all third and long situations, and that's not optimal for any quarterback, and it's just really not the strength for Stetson and Bennett. So you think that hurt us in the fact that the screen game, the swing pass game, which has been really effective for us, gets us in those, you know, because what, what does Kirby say? He's, that's like an extension of our run game because we can get easy yards or gimme yards, right? Well, we weren't getting those gimme yards, so we were in third and long too much in the first half. And then there are also some throws that, in the moment, watching the game live, I was like, man, that's on Stetson. He missed that ball. And then I go back and rewatch, and I'm like, oh, maybe not so much. I mean, you go to the second possession. It was third and 11. And again, it was the reason it was third and 11 is because Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint missed a block on the perimeter and um, got stopped. One of those swing passes stopped behind the line of scrimmage. So it's third and 11. And to me, it this is the throw to Brock Bowers. And it looked like an overthrow to me in the stands. I thought he put it in a spot where Bowers could not get it. But on the rewatch and seeing the replay again and again, I think it was actually a really well-thrown ball. It's kind of a back shoulder throw to a degree. Um, he layered it between two defenders that were in zone coverage. There's one, it was kind of like a high-low thing. There's one defender underneath Brock and one um, on top of him. And Stetson actually kind of put the ball where it needed to be. And Brock, I mean, it, the ball hit the hit Brock in the hands. And I love Brock. And I don't, I'm not trying to be critical of Brock, but he... Brock has made that catch before. Let's just say that. And it's a tough catch. I'm not saying it's not a tough catch. It's a tough catch. But Stetson put the, that ball in the only place it could be. And yes, it was slightly high, but he had to throw the ball slightly high because of that underneath zone defender. He had to layer the ball in between two zone defenders. In reality, that was a good throw. And most people in the they're saying, oh my God, Stetson, what are you doing? Myself included. I did that too. I was frustrated. But rewatching it, there's some more context there. And then, yeah, I go back to like, you know, the last possession of the first half. He, he's got to hit that. He missed the layup on the rub route to Brock up the sideline. He just flat out missed that. But then right after that same drive, he comes right back and throws a rope that hits Brock up the seam on a back shoulder throw. And it looked like he was throwing the ball. This might have been the play Kirby was referencing when somebody in the media asked him if about Stetson throwing the ball into the triple coverage. This might be that play. I can't remember. Um, but it looked like a really tight window because it was a tight window because in those situations, right before the half, one minute to go, you're trying to fit the ball down the field. There's only going to be tight windows in that situation. But Stetson put that ball perfectly where it needed to be. I mean, I'm talking perfect ball placement. It hit Brock in the hands again. Once again, tough catch. I'm not faulting Brock for not catching it. It's a really tough catch, but we've seen Bowers make those catches. That ball was put in the only spot that ball could be put to possibly be completed. In the stands, I thought it was a bad throw. It was not, guys. In fact, it was a really good throw. And then the play after that, so the third down play now, he follows up that throw to Brock, that near miss, he follows up with another perfect back shoulder throw on a slot fade to Dominic Blaylock right there on the sideline. And Stetson, once again, placed the ball perfectly. I thought in the stands, Dom caught it. I was going, I was excited. It's like, hell yeah, let's go. But he drops it. He, was, he couldn't stay in bounds. I think he actually ended up dropping it. But um, that ball was not on, on Stetson. That ball should have been caught. Now, in that possession there, the first one's on Stetson. He missed Brock down the sideline for an easy touchdown. The next two passes, I think, should have been caught, or at least could have been caught, and Stetson put them exactly where they needed to be. And we might be having a different conversation if he hits any of those balls. One on him, two not on him. So those are just a couple of, of examples there, guys, in this game where I think these are throws where I thought he was in the wrong and he missed. I think a lot of people also did go back and rewatching. I, I change, I'm changing my tune here. Again, didn't play great, missed some throws, did some things he's got he's got to improve on. But he also did a lot more good things in this game than I think people want to give him credit for. And going back to questions like, is he our best option? Yeah, here's another big reason why, guys. Mobility. 
Mobility is so important. I, I have come to the realization, guys, that you almost can't win at a high level in college football without a mobile quarterback. I'm not saying he has to be a dual threat guy, but it's got to be a guy that 100% can escape pressure, create with his legs, pick up third downs, avoid sacks, all those kinds of things. And Stetson is, I mean, guys, he had a 64-yard touchdown run on a design quarterback draw. He outran SEC defenders. And I know Auburn's not great, but this is not Vanderbilt we're talking about. This is Auburn. They have good athletes out there on defense, and Stetson outran all of them. Carson Beck, who is our backup quarterback, so I guess if Stetson wasn't the guy, he'd be the next guy in line, right? Well, he's done a great job when he's been given opportunities, but Carson does not have that mobility. He just simply does not. And the guys with mobility behind them, Gunnar Stockton and Brock Vandegrift, they aren't ready, at least from what I understand from people around the program. They're not there. They're getting better. The coaches love them. They're high on them, but they're not there yet. So here's another example on one specific play where Carson Beck would have would have not been the answer here. It was third and 10 on, I forget what possession it was, but it was the possession that resulted in, our, in a field goal attempt. Pod Lesney missed it. I think it was a 47-yarder. Well, Stetson, it looked like he threw a really bad pass. It was low. It wasn't a good pass to, I think it was Kiaris Jackson on the play. He threw like two yards in front of him, like just not even close to being completed. But to even get that ball off, Stetson had to avoid like two or three different rushers. And in that situation, Carson Beck is going to get sacked. He's probably going to get cut in half in that play, guys. He's just going down, trying to save his life. He's just ducking for cover. And if he would have gone down that situation, if Stetson would have gotten sacked there, that takes us out of even the possibility of trying a field goal attempt. And I know Pod missed it, but that situation, and again, again, if we're playing Tennessee that everyone's so scared of right now, where every point might matter, you cannot afford to take sacks that take you out of potential scoring opportunities. And in that situation, I have zero doubt in my mind that Carson Beck would have taken that sack and would, would, would have been like a 58-yard field goal and would have no chance to make that. And that's the kind of thing that could potentially win or lose you a game. So yes, for a lot of reasons, Stetson, experience, mobility, honestly, talent. This guy's way more talent if you want to give him credit for. He is the best option quarterback. He has been and he remains so, in my opinion, humbly. Okay, you need a break after that. Oh, Charlie, I just those were the two questions. I just had some things I had to get off my chest. I promise the rest of them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do you a solid and be much I'm more economical. You to rush. I just think you might need a little break after. I, that I, Charlie, I get fired up. All I love, right. I love this team. I love this stuff. I want to win, and uh, I think Stetson gives us the best chance to win. Still. All right. Well, on a brighter note than all the Stetson Bennett questions, true freshman Branson Robinson and junior Dejan Edwards. Had a big day on the ground for the dogs, combined for 181 yards and seven and a half yards per carry against Auburn. So Ashton asks, is it time to let Dejan Edwards and Branson Robinson get the majority of the carries moving forward? This is a tough question to answer. Now, I was pretty emphatic on the recap episode that, yes, Branson Robinson does need to start seeing an increase in his workload, and I will stand by that. I mean, what we saw Saturday, guys, I mean, I had a sneaking suspicion based off what I knew of this guy coming out of high school that he was one of the, if not the best actual like pure runners on our team from like a running back standpoint, carrying, toting the football. But with any true freshman, there's a lot of things you got to learn. I've always felt that running back is one of the easier positions to play at an early age and early stage of your career, but you still got to learn pass pro. You still got to learn the playbook. And those were things that, that Branson was struggling with a little bit. He also dealt with an injury in fall camp that kind of set him back a little bit there. So it just took him a little bit longer than I was hoping because I thought he might be a factor a little bit earlier than this. And after the Missouri game, I couldn't escape this feeling that we just needed like an extra something, an extra like shot in the arm in the run game. We needed someone that could be more of a home run hitter, maybe be a guy that's a home run hitter plus a power runner. And I felt that Branson was that guy, but he just hasn't really, like he didn't play at all. He didn't see any like 
snaps at running back in that game against Missouri. So I'm like, well, I'm not even going to talk about the podcast because he's clearly not even in the conversation. But you know, lo and behold, you come against Auburn and this guy is playing early in the first quarter. And you're like, oh, okay. Maybe the coaches are saying the same thing that I'm saying. Like we need a, we need something to jumpstart this run game and maybe Branson can be one of those guys. And I know it's a very small sample size. And this is why I hesitate to say like he needs to see like the lion's share of the carries or what was the, what did it say? The majority of the carries moving forward. I, I struggle to say that definitively because it is a small sample size, but we also saw what we saw out there on Saturday and our eyes did not deceive us. Branson Robinson is the best pure runner on the team in terms of size, speed, physicality, contact balance, power, all of those things, explosiveness, burst, like his burst might be that, that acceleration might be the most impressive part of his game. And maybe the thing that we were missing more than anything in this, in this run game. And like those things are there. Now, does he have grasp of the entire offense? I can't answer that question. I would say, honestly, probably not. But you don't know. that. Is he, does he have grasp of enough of the offense? I think the answer is yes, as we saw on Saturday. Is he a guy that you can put out there in, in situations where he's not carrying the ball? Because you can't just, every time he's out there, he can't just carry the football, right? And that's, and that's not what we were doing on Saturday. But he's got to be able to hold up in pass protection. He's got to be able to catch the ball in the battle, things that other running backs are able to do. And as he continues to improve on those things, I think he will see more and more time. Because I, again, I think he is the best pure running back that we have on this team right now, at least in terms of healthy guys. And I, I think you guys know how I feel about Dejan Edwards. All the guy does is produce. Um, he's not the fastest guy, the most physical guy, but he run, He is physical. He runs hard. He's not the biggest or fastest guy. And he's not a guy that's going to you know, break one 60, 70 yards. He's not that guy. Branson can be that guy. Dejan's not, but Dejan's a, a really effective runner between the tackles because he, he can get skinny between the holes. He's got great vision. He can jump cut. He's really good in a short area. He runs with really surprising power. He gets low center of gravity and runs behind his pads really, really well. He makes you miss in the hole. All those things make him a really, really, really good running back force and one of our best goal line options. But Branson, I think, is the best pure runner, as I've been saying. So majority of the carries, like, yeah, I know it's a small sample size and and that kind of scares you to a degree, but based off what I saw on Saturday and how effective our run game was, I think I'm ready to say yes there. Now, the other guy I still have to play, Kenny still has to play because Kenny's our best threat as a receiver out of the backfield, obviously. And I think Kenny's been playing well uh, not a hundred percent. You know, he's running behind his pads a lot better. I mean, he's a, he's an underrated power runner as well. He can certainly put a shoulder down and run through somebody. He's shown that a couple of times the past couple of weeks, kind of gutting through an injury. And Kendall's still a really good running back, guys. Kendall's still averaging over five yards to carry. Kendall is is not just some bum on the street. This is a guy that can absolutely help us, but I don't know the extent of his injury right now with the groin. I just don't know. So especially if he's not 100%, which I don't think he's been 100% all year. I think it's part of the issue we've seen with Kendall. But right now, in terms of guys that can, can be the most productive for us out there on the field, I think Branson and Dajan have been more productive in the run game than, than the other two. I'm just being honest there. So I, I think I'd probably lean towards, yes, Ashton. I think I would. All right. Well, sticking with the running back theme, Dalton presents you with a scenario. Love so, a good scenario. Fourth and goal on the two. Game's mm-hmm. on the line. He mm-hmm. wants you to rank the running backs one through four on who needs to take that carry. He says, we're mm-hmm. not here to hurt feelings. We're <laughs> here to win championships. We're not here to protect feelings, right? We're Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not guys, trying to hurt people. I mean, like I said last week, y'all are trying to get me in trouble with a certain somebody out there on social media. I mean, I've already got in trouble before. I guess I'll get in trouble again. I, I, you're right, you're right, you're right Dalton. You, you, like, we're not here to protect feelings. We're trying to win championships. And this is not a shot at anybody. I love all of our guys. They're all great. They're, honestly, they all are really, really good running backs. And we're looking to have all of them. But to me, it's a no-brainer. I mean, fourth and two in the goal line? Like, if you say anyone other than Dejan Edwards, like, I have to question your sanity at this point. I mean, 
the other guys just haven't produced in those situations. I mean, yeah, Kendall's got a couple touchdowns inside the red zone, but Dajan's been the guy when we really needed it. Like against Missouri on the goal line, when we really needed a score, who is it? It's Dajan Edwards, the smallest guy out there for a running back position. Same thing against Auburn early in that game. And I know Kenny had a touchdown in that game as well, but Dajan is the guy because he is so elusive and he's the guy that has the best ability to make a person miss in the hole. And when you have all those bodies there at the line of scrimmage in the goal line situations, often you have somebody that might squirt through there and be a free runner. And you got to have somebody that can make a miss. Sure, you can try to run through them, but we're talking about big dudes there in goal line situations. You might not be able to run through a 300-pounder. Maybe, but probably not. It might be better to, I don't know, make a miss and then dive in for the touchdown, which is what Dejan Edwards is very, very adept at doing. So Dejan's a no-brainer for me. I, we haven't seen him a ton in this role, but I think Branson probably is the next best equipped. I think he also has a lower center of gravity, which, which I think is really important. I think he can he's big, strong, physical, who runs with power. He can be a guy that's, he, he's, he can be a lot of different things to worry about, but I think he has the ability to be a bruiser when he needs to be. Uh, Kendall has also been good for us in that role. So he, it's not like he hasn't been good. He just, I don't think he's been as good as Dejan. And then Kenny also can be good in that role. He, we've seen that from him, but I just don't think he's as good in that role as a guy like Dejan Edwards or potentially Branson Robinson. So I would go Dejan, Branson, Kendall, and then Kenny. And Charlie, I know you have a few more questions, but you want to get one more break? Yeah. Alumni Hall, guys, you know this drill. Alumni Hall is, I mean, hands down, the best place to go. It is the place to go when you need anything Georgia-related, whether it's some gear, some accessories, tailgating accessories, house decor, it doesn't matter. They've got some brand new, like, Charlie, like, I, you might have already gotten one. You, you might have been in there lately. But you see their tweet? They've got a bunch of stuff out now, some new coffee mugs. I know you're a big coffee drinker. I need some new mugs. I'm not a coffee guy. I don't drink coffee. But I know a lot of you do. And I, Those are good Christmas gifts for people at the office. Absolutely. For your boss. Absolutely. I'm trying to admit, like, I'm not a coffee drinker. When I saw those mugs, I was like, do I need to become a coffee drinker? Because those are pretty badass. Are, I, I think. Are I need you that. an adult if you don't drink coffee? I mean, why do I want to drink that, Charlie? It it's doesn't like taste good. Like an adult security blanket. It doesn't it just taste makes you feel good. Warm and cozy you really think it tastes safe. good? Oh, absolutely. Because you drink straight black coffee. I do, and it's delicious. I'm glad you think so. I don't. I like the smell of it. I'm cool with that. The taste it doesn't do much for me, and like the. The caffeine, like I don't. It's just calm. Caffeine is bad for you, Charlie. You know these things. I'm a scientist. You're not. It's okay. No, there have been studies that like one or two cups of coffee is okay, actually sure. good for you each day. Well, I mean, yes, that's. So now you'll start drinking. It's coffee. not untrue, but caffeine in general is it's not. It's not untrue, so it's true. Charlie, like in my job, I can't always just like get up and go to the bathroom at all times. I, I you know, I, you gotta watch how much liquid I put in my body. I have to drink a certain amount of water. I can't be doing water, right. coffee. It's too much. So, enough about the coffee. Yes, enough about the coffee. But buy the mugs buy the at mugs. Alumni Hall. Alumni Hall. And this Hall, weekend, this you weekend, can meet Sunday, current players from... 2 to 4, in-store, inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center, this Sunday, October 16th. So, if you're coming in town for the Vanderbilt game, stay... I mean, you probably stay until Sunday. If not, think about staying until Sunday. Stop in, meet some of the players, bring the whole family. Your kids would love it. Let me just be real. You're going to love it. You can buy some, some coffee mugs, some other Georgia gear. And just have a fantastic Sunday. So again, that's Alumni Hall because that is where the Bulldogs shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements. Or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. 
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, well, for our next question, Jamie wonders if Kirby is playing 4D chess. So he says, everyone's talking about how Darnell is not getting the ball in the red zone. He thinks that we're holding those plays for better competition. What do you think? Jamie, I, I, Jamie, you're awesome, dude. You're a longtime listener. I love you, man. I appreciate you sincerely. I would love to believe this is true. Charlie, do you believe this is true? Maybe. I mean, I don't think we've seen the full playbook. Well, I mean, you don't ever have the full playbook in any game. You go in with a certain number of plays based on your game plan. Right, but I don't think we've needed there's, there's to some use things. it all. Charlie, against, against Missouri, we needed every damn thing we could muster. Right, but that also was the first time we were under pressure. It was. So, I'm not saying this is impossible. And maybe it's true. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. But here's what I would say. I would love to believe it, but to me, it's like 7D chess. You know, that's a little bit more than 4D chess because... Here's the thing. I, I would be more likely to agree with this assessment if we had not been in any close games, if every single game had been a blowout. But that's not the case. I know most of them have been, but the Missouri game, guys, like, we were on life support there. Charlie, we did not take our first lead until just a little over four minutes left in that game. I mean, that Missouri game did happen. You have to believe, like, when we got nothing going offensively that we were willing to try whatever it took and whatever plays we were trying to hold for better competition, you know, down the road, which I get, but whatever plays you're trying to hold, like, does it matter? Like, would those games even matter as much if you don't win that game? Like, you think you might have to burn some of those in a situation like that. So, I mean, I'm sure we have, I know we have plays in the playbook to use in the red zone to, to feature Darnell Washington and guys like that. We haven't seen them. I want to see more of them. But I don't know if it's about holding it back against better competition because when you're in that game, like, in the thick of against Missouri, and, like, you're, I mean, you're fighting for your life there, man. I don't think you you have the luxury to hold things back. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me, and I'm weird, and I could be wrong there. All right. Well, I know you voiced your concerns about the wide receivers getting open consistently against man coverage. Jamil seems to have the same concerns. As he asked, do we have the wide receiver that can take it to the house? My, I mean, like a home run hitter at wide receiver? I think A.D. Mitchell can be that. I think, I mean, Ladd is that. We've seen that from Ladd. Now, Ladd has not been 100%, and Ladd's... You know, I don't know if he's a true number one wide receiver. I think he's better as a number two guy, like a really strong compliment to a to an, like an alpha number one guy. And I think that AD is that guy. Arian Smith is a thousand percent that guy if he can just stay healthy and stay on the field. The problem with Arian Smith right now is even though he's back cleared and he's playing, he's just missed so much time. And it's not just this year. We're talking like the last three years, guys. He's missed so much practice time that it has stunted his development. So he... Number one, he's not, he's still kind of working himself back into like playing shape, right? So he's not playing as many snaps and he's just still not a fully polished wide receiver yet. So, I mean, there's that, but like in terms of just like running a go route, a home run hitter, like Arian Smith might be the biggest home run hitter in the SEC in terms of just like speed, getting past somebody. 
but he's just not ready to be a full-time wide receiver yet. That comes with development. He's still got to develop and stay healthy to, to get to that point. But I think AD can be that guy. I think Ladd is that guy. If he's able to complement another number one wide receiver, I think Arian can be that guy. So I think we have them. It's just they haven't really been healthy and, and ready to, to be those guys right now. I mean, even Ladd himself has been injured for the past couple of weeks. All right. Well, Tyson wants to know, Will we ever use a tight end in the red zone? Just kind of going back to Jamie's question. Yeah, you guys know I, I've been all over this for a year plus now, man. It's very frustrating to me, especially when we have issues in the red zone. Like when you go five for five in the red zone, like we did against Auburn, and you go, what, seven for seven, six for six, whatever we did against Oregon in week one. I forget now, it's so long ago. I mean, you don't have any questions about that thing. You don't have, who cares if you use Darnell? It doesn't matter. We're still scoring touchdowns in the red zone. But when you go against Missouri on the road and you're two for six, scoring touchdowns in the red zone, you only win by four points because you're not converting those red zone opportunities into touchdowns. Well, then you fairly question, why aren't we using this big like seven foot nine giant we have out there in the red zone? Because just throw it up to him. He's got, he he devours balls. I mean, why can we not just throw this ball to the guy somewhere in the end zone? I mean, I'm not the offensive coordinator. You line him up out there in uh, at the wide receiver position, you go, you even motion him out there. You get the matchup you want. You see if you have the matchup you want. If you get the matchup you want, man coverage out there, Throw the freaking guy a fade. I mean, you throw it up, either he catches it or no one catches it. I, I just, I don't understand why we don't try these things. Like, we throw fades in the red zone, but we throw them to like Lad McConkey. You know, six foot nothing Lad McConkey. He's the one we're throwing fades to and not our eight foot four giant Darnell Washington, which I love. I love Todd Munkin, but these are some things that I don't know. Like, they mystify me, Charlie. I'm just going to be honest, and they continue to do so. All right. B.W. Giddens wants to know if Auburn can please keep Brian Harson forever. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know what, Charlie? I, this is one of those things that's a good question because I never really understood. Like, why, when we have a rival who has a coach in the hot seat, why some of our fans get so giddy over that rival coach, like, potentially getting fired? It's like, no, you want this guy to stay forever. Like, I thought it was a really – it was a tough day in American history, Charlie – when old Geoff Collins got fired a couple weeks ago. Like, that sucks. I wanted that guy to stay there forever. Like, do we not like beating up on these rivals? Do we not enjoy that? I know, Charlie, you like, you want, quote-unquote, good games. I mean, I like destroying our rivals. It's fun for me. I enjoy that. It's not stressful. I almost had multiple heart attacks in the stands against Missouri. I don't necessarily, I mean, every now and then it's okay. I don't want that every single week. So, yeah, I mean, I would love if some way, somehow, this guy just had like nine lives and found a way to survive. I don't, I mean, it's not going to happen. They've already gotten rid of the AD who hired him and was kind of protecting him. But um, it would be awesome. I think people just love the drama. They want to see these guys get fired because it's drama and that's real life drama. People like that. But I would be happy if you stayed forever. Yeah. All right. Well, we have one last question. It's our fun question of the day. It's from Jamie. Who wants to know, what are your favorite bars and restaurants in Athens? Oh, my God. I mean, and this was this is one of our Ask Me Anything questions before the game on Saturday, which I do on Instagram before every single game. Um, so you guys should check that out if you have not been. Um, Charlie, I... I think it's a complicated question. How would you answer that? Okay, if I'm going brunch, I'm going... Well, homie, uh, okay, can I write this down? I'm going to write this down. Okay. Because I want to see if you and I have the same mind. Because most people would say one thing, right? Okay. There's one thing that I know most people would say. Okay, write down a brunch place. That I would go. My yeah. recommendation. And then write down a bar. Bar. And write down a restaurant. There's a lot of bars I like, Charlie. We have a lot like, of bars in Athens. Obviously, you can get brunch at a restaurant, but like a you dinner, a lot of bars a dinner in place. Okay, okay. Dinner place. I know place. exactly what you're going to say. Dinner place? Yeah. You know me that well? Um, we, I'm not a fancy guy. 
I'm not either, but okay. um, I, I'll think white tablecloths are like a neath too. Oh, they made me want to yeah. vomit. Not a, not a white tablecloth kind of guy. I like cheese fries personally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like a dinner place. Yeah. That's not a sports bar. Okay, so while you're doing that brunch, I would suggest South Kitchen or is it Kitchen South? I don't know. South Kitchen and Bar. South. What do Kitchen I have written? Bar. What do I have written? You have South. I have South. Okay. What do you think most people would say? Most people would say last resort. No, or, or Mama's bar. Boy. Come on, people love Mama's they Boy. They don't have alcohol, do they? Uh, th- th- like, exactly, Charlie. Thank you. This Casey is how Boy. I was no, raised. No, <laughs> I mean, I know, and people are like, what are you guys there talking about? There is no about? brunch without Drunks? alcohol. Well, I mean, like a, a nice drink with your brunch, and I'm, it's just better food. Like Mama's Boy is fine, but the skillets, the skillet yes. brunches at South. I mean, come on. The hot chicken on Ooh. pecan rolls, oh. uh, or just the pecan rolls by themselves. Now I'm getting very hungry. It's a great, so yeah, great place. I would say brunch. Go to South. Great spot. Some people like five bar, but meh. Mm, that's fine. No it's thanks. good. It's good. Um, okay. What about a restaurant? I would say you're going to say Amici's because you like pizza and First wings. off, it's Amici. It's not Amici's. Amici. Okay. I would say another restaurant that's good for dinner, um, has a nice bar, a good scene would be Paloma Park. Paloma Park it's is newer. newer. It's good. I like Paloma. I like Paloma um, That's a good place to go. A lot of people will say Last Resort. Last Resort is bar. the most overrated place in Athens. Five bar. I'm done with the A like, lot of people will thing. say South for dinner. I don't really care for I, their dinner menu. I, it's, I like, oh, it depends on what's on their dinner menu. They have these great like um, duck fat tots. You can only eat so many of them because it'll destroy you your digestive system. But they're I very will good. say, if you like bar food and you want a cheeseburger... Go to Blind Pig. Well, I mean, for like sports bars, it's the obvious option downtown. And I, I, I mean, I know the people at Blind Pig very well. Um, it is the best. Like, you got to go to Blind Pig. Like, come on. Blind Pig, I mean, I'm a cheese fryaholic. Get a little extra cheese up on there. And oh, their grilled cheese. So grilled good. cheese is good. I like their steak quesadillas. I mean, it's bar food, but I, I'm a bar food guy. So, like, when you ask me, like, what's your place for dinner? It's like, well, Michi or Blind Pig because that's my right. kind of food. Like, I don't eat I know that's lot. not everybody. I know that's not everybody, but, like. That's the kind of food that I like. I yeah. mean, I'm a child. I'm a 16-year-old in a 36-year-old I body. don't eat out a lot, so when I do eat out, I want, like, greasy food yeah. that I'm not going to eat at home. I like Chuck's Fish. Chuck's, Chuck's is good. Chuck's is really good. They, Chuck's they, they have a lot good. of really good specials that are I on like, the menu. The um, off-menu stuff is really good. Shokatini. Love sushi. For sushi, yeah. For sure. Good. Good. Bar? What's your go-to bar? Um, I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> this time of year, I like high bar. At the Hyatt, quite right, honestly. On top of the Hyatt place. Kind of newish, what, two years old-ish? Yeah. Um, if spot. I'm going to go with a bar, I like Cutters because I like that it has garage doors so you have nice open air. I yeah. also like that they- they renovated it a couple years ago. Yeah. It's, it's much nicer. It's good. I like Cutters. It's an yeah. older crowd. It doesn't get too rowdy, but it's still entertaining. Yeah, you, and some of you like younger listeners you have to understand, we aren't in college anymore. So college bars, like you probably said, well, what about this? I'm like, we, we don't go to college bars anymore. There are towny bars. That's kind of like, I hate to call myself that, but an old person who lives in Athens that doesn't go to the school at UGA anymore, I, I guess I'm a townie, right? So I have to go to old people bars, okay? And Cutter's is a good old person bar. It's still not a, a young crowd. It's not an old person bar, but it's like not a college bar. But they, do they have pool tables? They have pool tables. They do. And I love that they have skee ball. They do. Because I'm very good at ski I like all good. Um, all good has a mixed crowd. Like early... On a Friday or Saturday, it's more of like my age crowd, like mid-30s, and then it gets like late at night. It's like, you know, the young crowd, and I'm gone by that time. Um, I really like World Famous as well. World Famous used to be the old hot yeah. corner down there. I love World Famous. Got some food there. Uh, it's The food's kind of gone downhill-ish lately, but really good chicken and waffle club. So, yeah, I know that probably, people are like, who cares? We don't live in Athens. But anyway, the question was asked, and uh, we do live in Athens, and I like to 
partake in the wonderful things that we do have here in and town. If you so there's some suggestions for people. Sit at a nice bar and maybe get like fries or some tacos. Trapeze is good. How did I miss trapeze? Trapeze is a real. I love trapeze. They yeah. don't have. Like regular beer though. But Charlie, we're in Athens. It's a craft brew place. I know, but like some people want Bud Light or Miller Lite. Yes, like said the 70 plus crowd. Yes. Right. Well, people are, you know, have families or friends that want Miller Lite or Bud Light and you're not going to get it there. Yeah. It's like, I get it. I'm not really a beer guy in general, so it doesn't really bother I mean, me. In my family, we have to call ahead to some places and make sure that they have like regular beer. Are you serious? For who? Multiple members. Oh my God. Yeah, so there you go. There's a little primer in Athens if you're coming to town. Um, and like that's just us. There's a lot of other places that people like. It just kind of depends on what your kind of thing is. Um, yeah, but there you go. All right, guys. Uh, appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Always appreciate the support. We have plenty more content left this week. I'm going to be giving you guys volume three, version three, 3.0 of my SEC Power Rankings here on Wednesday night. So I'll have that for you guys. We'll also have a little bit of a Vanderbilt preview on that episode as well. I know you guys don't want a full-on Vanderbilt preview. I know that. Trust me. I know that. But I want to give you a little bit because Vandy is better this year. So we'll have a little bit of that. Have some fun on that episode. And then Charlie will be back with me to wrap things up at the end of the week with our official Week 7 Picks of the Week. So thank you for being here. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, Go dogs.